your name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. I want, I want, to, I want to point out a, a group here this morning that really helps us on days like this. All the days, they're great, but especially on days right now where people are waking up at the house and checking their Facebook page and realizing that they've completely ignored life for the last four days in the hour. And so I want to say thank you to our tech team that is, uh, that is pushing us out. So if you're at home right now and you're the one person that didn't catch the hour thing and you can still make the second service if you leave now. And you might even be on time uh, if you leave now. I don't know where you are. but And the reason I say it is, every, just, just about every week, someone comes up to me and says, this is my first time ever at your church. And I'm like, wow, how'd you hear about us? And you know what they say? I've been watching you on YouTube for weeks. So that's the reason I get more haircuts than normal. And uh, you know, I iron my shirt a little more. Like, oh my goodness, like that's crazy. But you are awesome. I, I love our tech team. I love our camera. I, everything, everything. They, just, they do such a great job. We're very grateful for that. And as we turn our Bibles, I hope you brought one. If you didn't, it'll be on the screen. A lot of verses today. A lot of verses. A lot of Bible. A lot of Bible at a Bible preaching church today. Yeah, what a letdown. No. Uh, I want to jump right into Judges 4 uh, because I think that we need less introduction and more judges. So this week's title is called Judge Debbie. Uh, because I think that's an awesome title, because we're going to meet the uh, judge named Deborah, and for all the obvious reasons of who I am and who you are, I couldn't resist. So, Judge Debbie, we're going to meet the only female judge today. Debbie, or Deborah, or Deborah, all are welcome for me, all right? After last week, I know you guys want less of an introduction, more judges, so here we are. Judges 4, we're going to look at 1 through 24, Judges 5, and then we're going to talk about it. Sound like a good plan? All right, it's what I got. Thank you. Even the baby liked it. All right. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Everybody say, check. We did it again. And after Ehud died, raise your left hand if you will never forget Ehud. All right, good. You remember him. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in that place, and I mean, goodness gracious, right? Why can't it be Ambler or, you know, something like that? <clears throat> anyway, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Everybody say, check. We know what phase that is. This is common. They cried out for help, for he, who, Sisera, had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for how, how long? 20 Year, two decades, guys. Remember, they couldn't drive them out. They didn't want to do it. They could have. They didn't. They didn't want to drive them out because they trusted their military more than they trusted God. And they, and they got, here's what they thought. They got tanks. We got sticks. But what else did they have? They had the creator of the universe. I like those odds. We have the creator of the universe. They have tanks. Huh. But they cried out to the Lord anyway, and he listens just like he always does, and he sends a judge named Deborah, Deborah, Debbie. <laughs> now, Deborah, a prophetess, oh, interesting, probably going to talk about that a little bit. That's a charged statement. Can't wait to touch that live wire here in about 45 seconds. 
the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now, I don't know what you just caught what she does and how she does it, but I love her style. Sits under a palm tree and gets things done. That's what it is. Who's for that? Listen, a couple weeks ago, you guys know this, I've told everybody, I went on a cruise. Did you know I sat in a hammock and took a 45-minute nap under a palm tree? I'm considering leading the church like that. It's biblical. I can do it, right? Okay, well, here's what we see. We'll see that Deborah, unlike all the other judges, she leads with wisdom. She leads with wisdom. What do the other judges attempt to lead with? Might right? They lead with might. She leads with wisdom. She is in a small group of people that are called prophetess. I want to give them to you. A little side note for you. Exodus 16, Miriam, the sister of Moses was called that. Second Kings 22, Huldah, it's in the time of King Josiah was called that. It's a great group. Luke 2, I love this story. Anna in the temple. Do you remember that one? We talked about it at Christmas. You should. When Jesus comes in, gives and blessing him, she is called Anna the prophetess. Great story. Read it later, not right now. Acts 21, Philip had four daughters. Guess what they did? Prophets. There are three great offices in Old Testament Israel. You know what they are? Pop quiz, there's three. You got a good chance to get at least one right. Prophet is one. Uh, What else? Leader. So there were uh, women prophets. There were women leaders, kings. Probably they weren't called kings. They were probably called queens or, or something else. And then we see the role of priests. We do not see priests as women in the Old Testament. That seems to be a command, and that continues through into the New Testament. One guy I read says this, the Old Testament tells us that women are equal in value, dignity, and ability, created as they are in God's image and given dominion under him over his creation. It also shows us that women were free, hear me so tight here, were free to use their gifts in any role with the exception of priests. What we see carries over into the New Testament. In many ways, it carries all through church history. In many ways, it carries right to this church right here that you go to, this idea. Now, we would not say that we have Old Testament prophets anymore at Keystone. And if you ever meet someone that says, I'm an Old Testament prophet, they're not. They may prophesy, but prophesying does not make one a prophet. Very different. I will say this, we have incredible leaders, men and women, at Keystone Montgomeryville. I happen to be married to one of them, and she is my not-so-secret weapon. All of you know it. I know you know it. She's a great leader. Here's where I am. I believe that men and women can work alongside each other in every area of ministry with the exception of elder or priest in the Old Testament. But that doesn't prohibit women from leading. We'll see that today. In fact, if you're a woman today, you will leave encouraged. Because if you didn't know about Judge Debbie before today, you will find a new hero for you in the Bible. And can I say, so will you men. You will find a new hero in the Bible. Because it doesn't prohibit women from leading in a church. Or, from what Mike might say like this, from using all of the same spiritual gifts that men have. Including leadership and teaching. There's a really controversial statement in the New Testament. I think probably you guys have it memorized for all the wrong reasons. Uh, It's 1 Timothy 2.12. Paul says this, In the church, a woman should learn with submissiveness. Who loves that verse? 
I know as a preacher and teacher of doctrine, that one gets in the way a lot because we just memorize that part. And here's what it, like, what, what does that mean? Submissive. We, nobody likes that word. Well, it can't mean that women shouldn't speak prophetically or teach because they do all over the place, all through the Bible, including the New Testament, including church history. They're called prophetesses, deacon. Priscilla, get this, Priscilla in Acts 16, she was the tutor to the great preacher Apollos. She's the one that set him straight. Can you? I would love to have been there for that, wouldn't you? Apollos having a banging ministry, and she's like, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> that would have been great. So Paul, actually, who wrote the letter to Timothy, he tells you exactly what he means in the next statement. There's just an unfortunate chapter break between 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Timothy 3, which, by the way, the chapter breaks are not biblical. That is not inerrant. It's an unfortunate chapter break. He, 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 it, it, he gets very honest. He says what that means is they just can't be elder. All the other spiritual gifts that women possess, they're absolutely allowed and, dare I say, supposed to exercise freely in a church. I love that. That's what it means. Of course they teach. Of course they prophesy. We see that all over the place. Some of you may even do a moment ago when I said, yeah, every position with the exception of elder, you may have raised a little eyebrow, right? Like, well, I don't know that I totally agree with that. I'm fine with that. I will neither fight you or be cold to you. Don't do it to me. But let me tell you this. The church you go to has Deborahs in every position. The church you go to has women leading in almost every area. I, I, I made a list. We have women worship leaders. We have women CG leaders. I have women on my pastoral advisory team. I want to know what they think because they lead with wisdom. We have them in every area, ministry heads, prayer team leaders. In my humble opinion, we have three of the greatest leaders that I've ever worked with in a church at this church. We have more than that, but I'm going to highlight three of them for you real quick. Danny, Allie, and Taylor. They are three of the greatest leaders I've ever been around. They know how to not just organize events, but they are pouring into your students, your kids, from a spiritual basis like I've never seen. Notice what Pastor Mark didn't just say. I didn't say three of the greatest women leaders I've ever said. I'm not qualifying that. I think they're three of the greatest leaders I've ever worked with. And I love that they're here serving alongside us so i'm just saying we're really for this we're really for this okay back to back to debbie sitting under the palm tree getting things done she sent and summoned barak the son of abinoam when i do this it means i don't know if that's really how you pronounce that i hope you don't think it is from kadesh neftali and said to him she get ready to prophesy guys you ready has not the lord the god of israel commanded you go Gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera. Remember who that is? And if you don't, I'm about to tell you again. The general of Jabin's army to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. All right, everybody translate that. What'd she just tell him? Go out there, pick a fight, you're going to win. She's a prophet and she's prophesying. Barak says back to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And you know as well as I do, she said this next part after a big deep sigh. And she said, fine, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, 
The road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a what? Woman. Uh Uh-oh. Could be a plot twist coming, just to kind of head you off a little bit. Here's what she's saying. You ready? Here's the wisdom she's leading with. You sure you really want to do that? You sure this is really how you want to approach this? You, you will win this fight, but you will not get the credit. You ever been approached with that from the Lord? I need you to do this, but you're not going to get any credit. All right, we're, we're going to stick a pin in that and come way back to that. Lots of writers I read are really tough on Barak here. They're saying that he showed a lack of faith for asking Deborah to go with him. And I don't think I'm in that camp. I think it's the opposite of that. I think he shows wisdom. I think that's what he's saying. I think it's great wisdom. She is a prophetess who is super wise and walks close to God. Why would I not want her to go with me? Do you ever do that? Someone tells you something and you're like, man, I think I need your help. Do you have trouble asking for help? Some of you do. You have trouble asking for help. I don't. I, I, I have... Honestly, I have been able in the last several years to be able to recognize my weaknesses. And I need help. I need help. But Barak is hearing from the Lord through Deborah and is being told, you will charge directly into the teeth of a much better, much more equipped army. And what does he do? He does that. That's wonderful news. Who thinks it takes faith to go against an army that pretty much everybody doesn't think you can beat? How many chariots do they have? 900. They could easily take out 10,000 men fighting with sticks. 900. And all they knew was that. So hear, hear me on this. Faith is this. Humble and it doesn't seek credit. It's humble and it doesn't seek credit. That's what faith is. He obeys God and leads his men down the mountain knowing that the victory will be given to someone else. Who in here would be, at least be like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that or not. You know, like if I do all the fighting, I'm the one that kind of wants the trophy, right? I mean, if the Phillies won the World Series this year and you're like, you know what, we're going to give it to the Yankees. We're going to send the trophy up there. I'd be like, no, I don't think so. I don't think we should do that, right? Would you do that? Are you, are you humble enough that God could call you to something great and you could do it, you could pull it off as it were and no one would ever know about it? Do you ever seek credit? Lord gives you something to do, but you know no one will see it. So what do you do? You spend a little bit of your time making sure people see it? I just want you to know, we, we prayer walked last night. Why are you telling me that? Ah, just thought you'd want to know. We are here pretty late. <laughs> okay, thanks. Did you, know, did you know we put it, I actually put it on our job description. I put this little thing. It's on mine too. You will do things in this job that no one ever sees. It doesn't mean we're uh, trying to do that. It's just like you will, you will do things that no one ever sees. But what if this? What if, you know, hey, how long have we been praying for revival? Forever, right? Not just for Keystone. We want the churches of this area to be revived. We want a fresh fall, man. We want fire from it. What if it hit another church first? Would I come up? What do you think would happen if I come up here and, guys, uh, on the one hand, great news, revival has broken out in Lansdale, but, man, I'm super disappointed because it wasn't us. Would that bother you? 
Back to Judge Debbie. Here's another plot twist. You ready? Because you may think Deborah is the one. She's the woman who's going to get credit. She's not. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels. And Deborah went up with him. Now Habar the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zananan, which is near Kadesh. Now, I know, I know, that's a lot of names and places, isn't it? And you're probably not going to track that, and that's fine. That's why they wrote it down. And it actually does seem a little random. Like, we've got this great, like, battle sequence that's about to start, and, like, here we have, like, oh, okay. And the writer sticks in a little tidbit about a guy and his wife who didn't get along with their neighbors, so they left and went camping. Seems pretty suspicious. I'll bet that's going to come back. Do you guys watch movies on the shows like I do? And be like, okay, obviously that's going to be really important here in a little while. All right, this, let me just tell you this. There's no throwaway characters in the Bible. There's no throwaway characters. There's no throwaway characters in God's story. Some of you think like, man, nobody ever sees what I do. I'm not seen. I'm not heard. You are not a throwaway character in God's story. You are not a plot point that you're just there to kind of move it along or you're here for exposition to make sure we understand what the real hero is doing. That's not you. So stick with me because this plays out pretty big. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abaddon, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all of his chariots. Do you guys see it? 900 chariots of iron and all the men who were with them from that place to the river Kishon. That's a river basin, important move. And Deborah said to Barak, up! For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? And so Barak went down from Mount Tabar with 10,000 men following him. Do you see it in your mind? They're in a river basin. Here they come down the mountain. And the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. <clears throat> and Sisera got down from his chariot. That's weird. And fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to that place. And all all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. What in the world? That's a big W. Why would he get off his chariot and flee on foot? Because there was a sudden rainstorm. And you'll see that in the next chapter. There was a sudden rainstorm and 900 chariots of iron. Guess what they became? Stuck. Now, I know that you guys probably don't follow mid-12th century B.C. Mount Tabor weather patterns, so you may not understand exactly what's going on here, but that is like a snowstorm in July here. Sounds like a miracle. God miraculously turns an enemy's strength into their weakness, and he will do it for your enemies too. Who needs a miracle like that? Who needs their enemy's strength to become their weakness so that you can overcome it? And I don't know what your enemy is right now, but what I do know is I like the odds if I have God on my side. God sent a miracle that turned Sisera's greatest advantage, his 900 chariots of iron, into complete and total dead weight. Chariots are no good if they can't maneuver. You want a God bonus? You want, you want to know a little bit about the, uh, the one true God that we serve? A little, a, little, a little tidbit for you. The chief God that Sisera would have served, you know what they called him? Baal. 
It's funny, isn't it? You know why it's funny? Because Baal was the god of weather. You picking up on it now? You getting that? Isn't that funny? He supposedly controlled rain and storms. And so if your God, if your false God was Baal, was the God of weather, and that was the thing that destroyed you, that's hilarious. So to have a rainstorm, you know, that is a total failure on Baal's part. Their God failed them. Our God is better. Sisera must have got away because he fled on foot to the tent of Jael. Oh, here we go. Mm. the wife of Habar, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Hebar, the Kenite. Oh, hey, do you guys remember them? Remember that little tidbit, that little Chekhovian device that was there a moment ago? Like, oh, I wonder why they're camping in the middle of the, uh, you know, the military onslaught. Here we go, about to pay off, out in the middle of nowhere camping in a tent by themselves. Now, you ever see a movie where the one guy is running away or running to something and he's by himself out in the woods or in the desert in this case and he comes upon a tent? Do you go in that tent? No, everybody knows that. He didn't know it, but everybody knows that, right? There they are. Sisera is fleeing and there they are. And I believe this is another miracle of providence that God is putting in their place. And so here's what happens. Jael, that is Habar's wife, another female being used wonderfully, came out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid, which totally sounds like a setup, right? You guys are catching this? So he turned aside to her into the tent. He goes in. She covered him with a rug, blanket. It's a rug, okay? And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I'm thirsty. Why is he thirsty? Because he's been running. He's been fighting. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. Listen, show of honesty, would you go in that tent? Oh, no way. I'm not going to that tent. And if I did go in the tent and I was a little suspicious, you know, like, hey, I'm really thirsty. You think you can bring me some water? Here's some warm milk. There's no way I'm drinking that milk. Can you imagine if I get home from a run, like in the summer, I like to sit on our little back porch, little, little seat out there, look over the woods, maybe see a squirrel, and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I forgot my water. Hey, Jennifer, are you coming out? Sometimes she comes out and sits with me and, and talks with me. I was like, oh, I, I left my water inside. Can you bring me my water? It's hot. I'm thirsty. And she brings me a cup of warm milk. That's psycho type stuff. You know, like, no, all the warning signs. He is ignoring everything. This is how demented this guy is. He's way down deep in the rabbit hole. Yeah, here's some warm milk. Anyway, and he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent, and if anyone comes and asks you, is anyone here, you say no. Don't tell him I'm in here, is what he's saying. But Jael, the wife of Habar, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand, and then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was laying fast asleep from weariness, so he died, which is kind of (laughs) obvious. That's an understatement. But it's God's word, and there it is, to make sure we know it. He died. I mean, she pegged his head into the ground. Didn't survive that. Deborah told Barak, Who would get the credit for this? Do you remember that? I bet he didn't see that one coming. I read in one book how this is a major breach of Middle Eastern hospitality because Jael lied. And I'm like, you don't don't think it was the murder part? 
that wasn't the dishonest, that wasn't the breach? No, no, no. Major breach of hospitality. Yet, yeah, I think the murder part is the breach. But here we are. On with the conquest. Barak's hot on his heels. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come and I'll show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went to her tent. And there lay Sisera, dead, with a tent peg in his temple. Surprise. Did it. So on that day, God subdued, subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. The end. That is like buckle your seatbelt type stuff in the Old Testament, guys. I mean, Deborah, whew, she called it. Sitting under that palm tree, God showed her that. She said, if you will go do it, you will win. You got to go with me. Go do it. You will win. Listen, here, I said we're going to read a lot of scripture today because there's this, there's this chapter five is a beautiful poem, a song of that battle. If you grew up in a Hebrew culture and maybe even, even presently, you would, have, you would have lived in an oral, oral uh, tradition. This is how you told those stories. And so actually, I want to read all of chapter 5 to you because it's beautiful and it's good to read scripture out loud. And so just hang with me. It will not take 20 minutes, I promise you. I timed it. I know how long it takes. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anoth, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel when new gods were chosen. Then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it, who, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way to the sound of musicians at the watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of the villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, Awake, break out in a song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley following you. Benjamin with your kinsmen from Machar marched down the commanders and from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. The princess of Issachar came with Deborah and Issachar, faithful to Barak. In the valley, they rushed at his heels among the clans of Reuben. There were great searchings of heart. 
Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he stay with his ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landing. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. The kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh. By the waters of Megiddo, they got no spoils of silver. From heaven, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent, Kishon, swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent, Kishon. March on, my soul, with might. Then loud beat the horse's hooves with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse, Meraz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to help of the Lord. To the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed are the women, Bejael, the wife of Habar, the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. He asked for water and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Out of the window she peered, the mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man. Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera. Spoil of dyed materials embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. That's the song of Deborah and Barak. That's the story of Deborah. Some of you are probably wondering, how in the world are you going to build a bridge from that to now? I'm with you. But I got a few. Number one, and I think this impacts us right where we are at Keystone. I think it impacts you right where you are. If you're not an attender, you're just here, you're watching online, this will impact you. You ready? Number one, God deserves all the glory. God deserves all the glory. They did not write a poem about themselves. God deserves all the glory. I made a lot of who got the credit for the, for the win on purpose. The truth is, This is God's win. This is God's win. He is in charge. God is the rescuer. And the same God that destroyed their foes is the same God that fights your battles. He is working right here, right now, at Keystone Montgomeryville. He is. He will do wonderful things in his name. But he will get the credit. In fact, if if we take the credit for what God is doing, In my humble opinion, that's a sin because that is taking the Lord's name in vain. We are saying, wait, what he did, I did. No, you didn't. Our job, hear, believe, obey. His job, get it done. And he does. 
God's the hero of the story, not mine. So guess what? What battle is God fighting for you right now? And will you let him fight it? Do you need to ask for help? Because there's a lot of Debras in the room. And there's a lot of Baraks in the room. And I'm not saying we're like them. I'm saying we need to learn. God is equipping us for a great battle. Will you ask for help? You ready? Number two, women have the same spiritual gifts as men. Women have the same spiritual gifts as men. This story, as much perhaps any in the Bible, gives you a glimpse of the role God has for women in the kingdom. It's right there. Deborah was a prophet. She was wise. She was respected. She was a leader. Some people have said that the the only reason Deborah was a prophet is because there were no men around to lead. I don't see that. I don't see that anywhere. And I looked. I got prepared for these things, you know? Like, I, I study a little bit. I don't see that anywhere. It's not anywhere in there. Deborah was an established leader, an established teacher in Israel. The story says that she was in the place she was because of her gifting. That's why she was there. So can I just speak for a moment to the, the women of Keystone? You, you are in a place right now where God is using you and your gifts to expand the kingdom. And I love it. I absolutely love it. God has given you gifts and talents. Please use them. Please use them. Because let me be very clear. God has put a calling on your life. And we are very blessed that when we use our gifts for God's kingdom. So God's going to get all the glory because he deserves it. Women have the same spiritual gifts as men. Number three, God doesn't seem to be too pleased with those who only spectate. Did you catch that in the poem? Like they did like a full section on the people that didn't come help, which seems a little harsh, like it seems a little petty, but I don't think it was. I think it's sending us a message. Here's what it doesn't mean. Here's what I don't mean by, you gotta get up off your chair. Here's what I don't mean. Like if this is your first time and you're a guest today and you're just joining us today, I'm not saying like, well, it's time for you to step up. You've been here 30 minutes, you know? No, some people, they come in, they watch online, they're seeking God, they're counting the cost and we wanna help you count it. We do. We want to help you find God. He's found you. You need to find him. You know what I'm saying? I'm glad you're here. Here is what I mean. Deborah lists out the people who sat on the sidelines and seems to really focus in verse 23, 523. Curse Merah, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to help the Lord. You catch that? They didn't do anything wrong, did they? The thing they did wrong, apparently, in the angel of the Lord's eyes and the Lord's eyes was they did nothing. They stayed static. Sitting it out isn't pleasing to God. And it's also robbing you of something he wants to do in your life. There is no option for that. Jesus called us, right? He says, follow me. Can you follow someone and never move? It'd be hard. Like, I don't even like it when someone's following me and I go through a yellow light and they don't, they don't come through with me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm looking in the mirror like, dang, gone. Now I got to pull over. And praise God, he, sometimes he pulls over for us so we can catch up. What does he mean here? It could mean that you need to activate your faith. You need to activate your faith. Maybe last week, you, you prayed that last week. God, what do you want to use me for? Tell me what you want to do. I am available and I am ready. Did anybody pray that this week and every day this week and God told you something? Guess what? You're going to get a line and a poem someday if you knew what you were supposed to do, you knew you were called to do it, but you were like, eh, let's give it a year. Let's give it a year. I don't want to be in that section of the poem. I don't want to be in that part. 
That's not good. It could mean that you need to get baptized. We baptized, what, 12 people last week? Baptizing somebody in the second service today, six next week, almost 100 last year. Listen, do you know what baptism is? That is like uh, I'm, going, uh, I'm going public with my faith. I'm going public with what, who, who I pray to, who I worship. I want everybody to know. That's what that is. It could mean that, you know what, I finally need to get into a community group. I need to, to get out of my house. I need to go and be around some people that will hold me accountable for the things I say and the things I believe. And, and maybe just maybe I'll make a friend or two. Man, I got it most, one of the greatest texts I'll ever get in my life. Yesterday, someone texted our, me and Jennifer and said, thank you so much. Several years ago, I don't even know how many now, seven years ago, you invited me to your community group and it is awesome. I'm not even in community group with this person anymore. Changed my life. Some of you need to take it seriously. Fourth, easiest one, ready? God requires 100% obedience. Yeah, I was kidding about the easiest part. He requires absolute surrender. This is a recurring theme in this book, but God bring down, will bring down the most powerful enemies with common everyday items. You remember the first Sunday of the year, I think it was January 1st, we said God uses what's already in your hand. For Moses, it was the staff. What do you got in your hand there? Oh, stick. Let's use that. Tent peg. Common. It wasn't like she bought that at REI and was waiting for this moment. Like, they lived in a tent. Okay? Household item. That'd be like, uh, I don't know, uh, Jennifer taking down Eric over here with a frying pan. Got to catch him just right. You can do it. Here's what I think. Here's what I think. God is teaching us this principle. God does his work in the world through our availability, not our ability. Am I available? Not am I able. Am I available? This is how God strengthens our faith, through our obedience. So here's here's what I want to do. Here's how I want to pray at the end. Because some people hear a story like this and they say, Seemed like that led to violence. You're absolutely right. That did lead to violence. Aren't we supposed to love our enemies? We are. We are. It also led to, to justice. So what, who, who does justice belong to? Am I the one that gets the justice? If I'm not the hero of my story, I guarantee I'm not the one that gets the justice. The truth is, and this is important, obedience did lead to violence. And it ultimately will lead to a violent death of Jesus. That was very violent. I know we like to romanticize that, and, and, but it was very violent. And his death and resurrection fundamentally changes our attitude towards our enemies. Because of his death, I am able to love. If we want to see justice done, then we need to look no further than the cross. Because the thing is, I was once the enemy. I was once the Sisera in the story. I was going against God's people. And all of us were at one point. If you are not yet a Jesus follower, then guess what? You are going against him. You're in rebellion mode. You may not be actively shaking your fist at God, but, but you are living in that state. I deserved justice for my sins. And I got it through Jesus and the cross. 
So I was no better than these enemies in the Bible, yet God loved me and sent justice in my place. He took my place. He died my death. He took my tent peg. He literally took my tent peg. And he's available to take yours too. Here's the great news. The Bible says if we confess our sins with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus took our place on the cross, then you will be saved. You talk about bringing heaven down and beating back hell. When we accept that and believe that, our thinking changes. We see people differently. We operate under different norms when that becomes our life. So as you're praying with me right now, there may be those here or maybe even online, you know you need forgiveness. You know you need a fresh start. Today is the day you can turn toward Jesus. You can stop running. If you're here right now and you want to pray that or even online, you say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you came in humility for me. You died on the cross. You rose from the dead. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. You are my God. And I will follow you from this day forward. Amen.